Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome once again to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm your host, Josh Downs, and today we're going to be taking a look at episode 51, Revelations, chapter 6 through 14, with the theme, They Overcame by the Blood of the Lamb. Now, this particular set of chapters, this is really it. This is the big one. These Chapters contain all the events, all the the things that so many have been concerned about for so long in regards to what's supposed to happen before the second coming. The, The scary judgments and the destructions, the woes that are pronounced upon the earth, some major, major events. And no, young people, there is no zombie apocalypse that is mentioned within these chapters. Without fail, when I was teaching seminary, I would get asked that question probably the most when it related to the events uh, preceding the second coming of Christ is, Brother Downs, when is the zombie apocalypse going to take place? Well, Hollywood's done a pretty good job of, of trying to teach us that at some point there's going to be a zombie apocalypse, but there is not, and so you don't need to worry about that. Now, one of the things I would make sure to point out at the very beginning of this is that while all these events and things are are fun to talk about and really are are pretty fascinating to consider them happening on the earth we need to be careful that they don't that we don't allow them to fill us with fear remember as many prophets have taught that god hath not given us the spirit of fear the reason that these verses these chapters are in the scriptures is not to make us afraid but actually quite the opposite, to help fill us with faith. And that's one of the things I I want you to try to remember as we go through this particular section, is to instead of getting hung up on all of the destruction and the signs of, of doom that really are a part of this, is to instead focus on those things which give faith, which build faith, which give hope, and help us to understand really the final outcome in the end which is not the death and destruction, but is quite the opposite. It is life and love and coming to a place, a beautiful place, where the Savior will usher in the millennium, a time and a place of peace and love and togetherness. Now, is it going to take a little bit to get to that point? Yes. But will it be worth it? Absolutely. It's interesting how often the the Lord uses childbirth um, almost as a metaphor for the change that's meant to take place in our lives, the change that will take place in the world. Um, I, obviously, being a man, have little idea of what goes through a person, a woman in particular, when it comes to childbirth. But um, I've been able to learn enough to know that it is incredibly painful, um, but also incredibly joyful as that new child begins to take its first breath, that pain is forgotten in the birthing of a new life that is now present. And what was painful and sorrowful and incredibly hurtful is almost in an instant turned to joy. And I think in a lot of ways, that's the process that that we go through, that the world will go through, especially with these kinds of events. 
Again, will it be hard? Will it be painful? Yes. But there's purpose in it. And that's one of the things I want you to focus on is to look for that purpose. Why are things unfolding the way that they are? What is it that God is doing? He's just not a God of, of wrath and destruction. He said, okay, that's it. You guys are done. Boom. No, there's, there's always a purpose, always a reason. And at some point, once the delivery has happened and the pain is over, then it will be an incredible experience, an incredible period and time filled with peace and love as the Savior is basically delivered to the earth. Now, it's going to take a little bit of uh, a pain to get him here, but it's going to be worth it. And I'm excited to go through these these sections, uh, these chapters and verses with you today. The, the background of this particular episode is this. Imagine a woman, again, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. Now imagine a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns hovering over the, the woman, poised to devour the child as soon as it was born. To understand these verses of John's revelation, remember that these images represent the church and the kingdom of God and the peril that they would face. For the saints who experienced intense persecution in John's day, victory over evil may not have seemed likely. This victory can also be hard to foresee in a day like ours, when the adversary is at war with the saints and has power over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. But the end of John's revelation gloriously shows that good will prevail over evil, Babylon will fall, and the saints will come out of great tribulation with robes of white. Not because their robes were never stained, but because the saints will have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's a beautiful introduction to this section, isn't it? Now, for the principles this week, a few key principles we want to take a look at. The very first one, we're going to focus on Revelations chapter 7. But to do that, we're going to first kind of introduce chapter 8, because chapter 8 is what many really have come to see as the end game, the, the earth's end game, where all the terrible events will happen preceding the second coming. The terrible destruction, the pestilence, diseases, Armageddon, the two prophets, all the judgments of God that will be poured out upon the world. Speaking of those things, in 1894, President Wilford Woodruff said, that God has held the angels of destruction for many years, lest they should reap down the wheat with the tares. But I want to tell you that those angels have left the portals of heaven, and they stand over this people and this nation now, and are hovering over the earth waiting to pour out the judgments. And from this very day they shall be poured out. Calamities and troubles are increasing in the earth, and there is a meaning to these things. Remember this and reflect upon those matters. If I do my duty, and you do your duty, we will have protection and shall pass through the afflictions in peace and in safety. Now that is a great statement, one that I've actually printed off and put in these chapters to remind me of a few things. One, again, that there's purpose in all of this and the way through it is to just continue to have faith in Christ and to be found performing our duty when it comes to following Him, loving Him, serving Him. One of the things, young people, I want you to understand about these events, one of the purposes that President Woodruff even alludes to in this is that they are meant to cause separation. 
They are meant to help separate the wheat from the tares, so that the wheat can be gathered together while the tares are burned. And we see that in many ways already throughout the church, as some of the difficult things that have happened have really caused divisiveness, have, have caused us to many to question the, the leadership of the church. There is a very real separation that is taking place right now. I've always wondered how it would be done and in what way, and I never really anticipated it to be as subtle as what it really is, at least right now. There is, it's very common, and you know it is, to hear of people complaining about the church, complaining about the prophet or the apostles or the things that they're saying or the things that they're teaching, which are causing many to, quite frankly, leave the church. Or life has thrown people a curveball and it's become very difficult and very painful. They've had an experience that they didn't ever want to have. And that has also caused them to question their faith, question the church, question God, and that has caused them to begin to leave. There are many elements at play right now in the world and maybe even in your own life that if not careful can cause you to separate yourself from the place of safety that God has intended us to seek refuge from. In many ways the church today can be compared to the ark back in Moses's day. There is destruction coming. The earth is going to be cleansed by fire it was first cleansed by water. Well, now, next comes the fire. And the ark that God is building and calling all of his children to is in fact the church and the leadership that is in it. It's in his church and gospel and in following the leadership, our living prophet and apostles, where we will find the greatest safety and direction and peace in regards to those things that will proceed the second coming. So just keep that in mind. And it's very well worth often asking the question, is there anything that is causing me separation from obviously Christ, from the gospel, and also from his church and from the living prophet and apostles that he has placed to help lead and guide us through these latter days? Now, it doesn't mean that the men and women in the church are perfect. Keep that in mind. There will be mistakes made. People will at times disappoint even God himself, in referencing the, the restoration of the church and the building up of it, said that he himself is well pleased with it, speaking to the church collectively and not individually. He wanted to make that distinction. We can't let the poor choices of others within the church cause us to leave the church, if that makes sense, or to doubt the church or the, the things that are going on. I have heard of far too many people that have used the actions of others to cause them to be separated from the gospel and from the church. And we can't allow that to happen. I just, I just want to make that point because I've, I've come across that so often in life. Now, speaking of these events in chapter 8, this is one of the reasons why chapter 7 is so interesting and so important, especially when it comes to its placement. Because chapter 7 is basically the, and they lived happily ever after chapter, which normally would be reserved for the end of the story, right? But it's almost as if knowing the fear and the concern that reading about these events that would precede the second coming would or could cause some of his children, he, the Lord, decided to put the, and they lived happily ever after, before those things. It's almost as if I can hear him say as a kind and loving father, 
yeah, it's going to get hard. There will be some very difficult things to pass through, but I want you to know that it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. It's going to be worth it. That God, that you, that I, that we will triumph in the end. So just keep going. Keep holding on. Have faith in me. And most importantly, have faith in my son. Follow him. Trust him. Repent of your sins and let his blood wash you clean. And one day, every single tear that has fallen from your face or that you have cried, I will personally wipe away from your eyes. To me, that's really the greatest message of chapter 7. And we see this really culminated through verses about 13 through 16. And uh, so I'd, I'd have you turn there and mark these verses in particular where it reads, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? They are shown, John is shown, a huge group of individuals arrayed in, in white robes that are at the throne of God, falling down, worshiping him, praising him, that are so happy and at peace. And the question is asked, um, who are these? And the answer comes in verse 14, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Again, it doesn't mean that they had it easy. I think that's one of the things that's being pointed out of this. They came out of great tribulation. Will it be hard? Will there be tests and trials for you and I to pass through? Absolutely. We can't ever forget that one of the main purposes in coming here was to be tested. The prophet Joseph pointed out that God will feel after your heartstrings and he will tug on them. That's a part of it. He will test us maybe even to our very limits and then a little bit past it at times. But verse 15, after going through that, coming out from that great tribulation and having washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, he points out, Therefore they are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. I love that imagery, and we've talked at length before, especially with the woman of the well. There's a great reference there where the Savior says, Whoever drinks of this water, speaking of physical water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But it shall be a well of water, living water, basically springing up inside of him. Young people, I remember what it was like at your age to thirst for things. And I'm not talking about Gatorade or some soda of some kind, although that was a big part of my youth, <laughs> young days growing up. But I remember thirsting for things like acceptance, thirsting for friendship, thirsting for love, thirsting for relationships, thirsting for uh, success, thirsting for material things. The thing with those thirsts is that they will never fully satisfy you. You'll always want more and more and more. The, the thirst that the world has to offer is temporary at best, just like with physical water. It may quench the thirst for the moment, but you will thirst again and again and again. It will never fully satisfy. That's where Christ and the gospel comes in. His promise is to cause us to thirst no more, to give us enough that we will lose the thirst for everything else. 
and to fill us so that there's no more hunger, that we are just full. And I love that imagery. And most importantly, at the end of verse 16, probably one of my most favorite phrases in all of Scripture, actually verse 17, it concludes by saying, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Young people, please mark that verse because I know that throughout your life there will be many tears that you will cry over so many different things. But just please know and remember that no matter what it is that you cry about, that one day God will wipe away all of them from your eyes. God has always protected his children and he always will. And that's one of the great messages as well of chapter 7. He protects those that would follow him. He, protects, he protected those that followed him from the flood, those that were in Egypt from the plagues uh, and from death, those that were in wicked cities from destruction. He protected even those Nephites and Lamanites that listened to the prophets from the terrible destruction that preceded the Lord's coming to them. And at many other times and many other ways, the events of the second coming don't need to cause us to feel fear or anxiety because there is a happily ever after. And as Elisha once said, while in the Old Testament, while being surrounded by basically a numberless army that was bent on his death and destruction, to fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open the eyes of this little young servant that was with him, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and beheld the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. It's a great metaphor. Again, I will always take the opportunity to point out the role of living prophets. Prophets can help us to see what we can't. They can fill us with faith. They can fill us with hope, especially in spite of difficult situations and circumstances. One of the greatest sources of strength that I have found in my life in going through hard things has been turning to the words of prophets and apostles, whether in scriptures or our living prophet and apostles in conference talks. And I have found answers. I have found direction. I have found patience. I have found peace in those words. Elder Holland, I remember, pointed out in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, he said, you have help from both sides of the veil, and you must never forget that. When disappointment and discouragement strike, and they will, you remember and never forget that if our eyes could be opened, we would see horses and chariots of fire as far as the eye can see, riding at reckless speed to come to our protection. They will always be there, these armies of heaven in defense of Abraham's seed. Some questions to consider just about this first principle is, what is God trying to tell you personally by putting a chapter filled with a happy ending before the difficult events leading to it? What does he want you to know personally in your life? How can this help us? How can it help you to face the events of the last days with faith instead of fear? What does this once again teach about listening to and following our living prophets and apostles? Who was it that always delivered the life-saving counsel and direction prior to destructive events in the scriptures? And how can you make sure that you have made your robes white in the blood of the Lamb? 
What can you do to apply his atonement more fully in your life? If you listen closely, the Spirit will tell you personally what it is that you need to work on and repent of the most. Maybe the most important question of all is, what is it telling you to do right now? I want to invite you to write that down because that is personal revelation for you. Another question may be, what do you love most about verse 17 and the phrase that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes? How does it make you feel knowing that God will personally one day wipe away all tears from your eyes? What does this verse teach us about him and about his love for us as our father? Now, for principle two, (laughs) this is an interesting one because I just want to take a a brief look at the events of the second coming. I don't know how you can teach the book of Revelations without going through these events. These are kind of considered what's kind of fun to go through and talk about and just try to imagine the immense destruction that will happen. Hollywood at times has even tried to depict these kinds of events in very powerful visual ways in different movies like Armageddon or The Day After Tomorrow. There's been a lot of blockbusters that were based on just the Earth's destruction. (laughs) And in many ways, that's what's going to happen. There will be some incredible events that will cause some great destruction upon the Earth. And it's in chapter 8 where these destructive events begin. And the events are correlated with the sounding of a trumpet from seven different angels. So I want to go through the sounding of each trumpet and just what exactly is mentioned. Some things we may have a good idea about, some things we have no idea uh, what it might entail. But these are really the seven destructive events that will happen prior to the second coming of Christ. Trumpet one is that will be sounded is found in verse seven, where the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Trumpet two is sounded in verse eight, and the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. That's pretty massive destruction, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and a third part of the ships were destroyed. Again, that is massive destruction. Chapter three, or sorry, trumpet three, verse 10. And the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the stars called Wormwood and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Again, massive destruction. Trumpet 4 and verse 12, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for the third part of it, and the night likewise. can't imagine what would cause something like that. And then in between that, it references, John references that another angel declared, Woe unto the earth because of these trumpets. And the fact that there are still three more to go. (laughs) He's saying, you know, if you think that was bad, you probably haven't seen anything yet. Trumpets 5 and 6 take place in chapter 9, with trumpet 5 starting in verse 1. 
And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as uh, the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. John is beginning to describe really one of the final battles that will take place. You almost call it, yeah, it's Armageddon. Um, and it's interesting to see John's description. Imagine never having seen an airplane or a tank uh, or a machine gun, for that matter, anything like that, and trying to describe it as you're watching these battles take place. You'll see a lot of that fun attempt to describe these things in the, the verses that follow. Things about how their chariots are made of brass and they have the sound as roaring uh, winds um, or thunder, and uh, their tails are like scorpions, right? Babe, to me, that's a perfect description of a tank. Um, or airplanes that sound like lions roaring, or that their their arrows are bent. He talks about all these things in trying to describe this battle. Trumpet six sounds in verse thirteen, and the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, "Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates." And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. By these three were, was the third part of men killed, by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. Again, massive, massive destruction. Now, after having gone through all of that destruction, it's in these next verses where I think we, if we have eyes to see, can learn a great lesson about the destruction. It's in verse 20 where this is taught. And it says simply that, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor the sorceries, nor their fornication, nor their thefts. Now we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But there's a few other events still to take place prior to the Lord's coming. And one of those involves the reference of two prophets, which shall defend Israel and eventually be killed, but then resurrected. And this is referenced in chapter 11, in particularly verse 3, where it records, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. 
Now that really is one of the kind of final events to happen and take place prior to the Lord's coming. And it really is in the sounding of the seventh trumpet that Christ will come. In that same chapter, chapter 11, verse 15, it records, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And it's at that point that the Savior will come. Now, one of the things that I want to draw your attention to is really back in verse 1 of chapter 8. I think it's important to recognize really what happens prior to the sounding of those trumps and what it teaches about God and those events of destruction that come with each trumpet sounded. In verse 1, take a look and see what it is that takes place prior to those um, events happening. It's silence. Silence for the period of about a half hour, which some have argued that maybe it's a literal half hour. Some have argued well, in God's time, it could be somewhere like 30 years. I, we, we don't know for sure. We just know that there's silence. But the, the more important question is why? Why start all of this destruction with silence? He kind of did the same thing with Pharaoh in Egypt, if you look at it. Prior to the, the final destruction or the destroying angel, the sixth plague was simply darkness, which really is a form of silence. It was a time for them to reflect and hopefully to repent before the final destruction came. The message to us is very clear that the time to repent is now, not before the events start or the, before the events happen, but to repent now, to get ready now. We don't want to wait to try to get into the ark when the flood is, is upon us. We want to get into it prior to it starting to rain. The time to repent is now. And God has granted us that opportunity and space and continues to. I want you to think about this. When you have refused to listen to your parents, um, whether it was when you were younger or even now, what is it that they would do to try to get through to you? There's always punishment, isn't there, attached to it when you don't listen? And when you don't follow the rules that they've given you, well, in many ways, I see God doing the same thing with his children. Remember when you would break the rules, well, there would be punishment. And what would happen if that punishment didn't do the job, <laughs> if it wasn't enough and you continue to break the rules? Well, that punishment would become worse, right? It would become more severe. It might start out small, like, hey, I'm going to take away the internet for a day. And even though that really isn't small for a teenager, I know that that typically is where parents would start, something like that. Okay, no internet for the day. And then maybe if that didn't help, then it would escalate to, okay, I'm taking away your phone for a couple days. And then if that didn't work, there was grounding, right? If that didn't work, then there was grounding for life. You know, or take away the car. There's all kinds of things that parents will do and have done. And I'm sure you've experienced as I have in growing up to try to help you to better follow the rules and really to keep you safe is what a lot of that is for. Well, the same thing happens with Heavenly Father. He doesn't rush to instant destruction, <laughs> grounding for life. He starts small. And we see that, especially with Pharaoh. I think there's a, a lot of great parallels that can be drawn from mm, the Lord trying to free the children of Israel from Egypt and God trying to free us from the world. And I think this is helpful to recognize because 
why the escalation and destruction with the second coming? Well, it's important to know it's not random that there is purpose in it, just like with Pharaoh and trying to get him to let go of the children of Israel. Remember that the Lord started with small annoyances. Maybe a, a river turned to blood or a plague of flies or of frogs. Nothing really that damaging or hurtful, just annoying. But when that didn't work, well, then it had to become a little bit more painful. There was lice, there were boils, there were locusts that destroyed the, their crops and food. The cattle began to die, a, a hailstorm of, of destruction. What he is trying to do is to get his children to repent. And when they don't, the consequences have to become more severe. Just like with you and your parents. One of the great verses of scripture that has always brought me peace, regardless of those events that will be coming, is in 3 Nephi chapter 10. The events leading up to Christ's coming in the Book of Mormon, I think were really meant to be a pattern for us today. Now listen very carefully to these verses as it relates to all the destruction that happened right before Christ came, which was incredibly destructive. Verse 12 of chapter 10 in 3 Nephi, it records, And it was the more righteous part of the people who were saved. And it was they who received the prophets and stoned them not. And it was they who had not shed the blood of the saints who were spared. And they were spared and were not sunk and buried up in the earth. And they were not drowned in the depths of the sea. And they were not burned by fire. Neither were they fallen upon and crushed to death. And they were not carried away in the whirlwind. Neither were they overpowered by the vapor of smoke and darkness. And Mormon points out, And now whoso readeth, let him understand. He that hath the scriptures, let him search them and see. And behold, if all these deaths and destructions by fire and by smoke and by tempests and by whirlwinds and by the opening of the earth to receive them and all these things are not unto the fulfilling of the prophecies of many of the holy prophets. There is peace and safety available in destruction. God is that good to be able to navigate chaos and provide peace and safety in, from the destructive events in any point in time in earth's history, but especially when it comes to the events of the second coming, which again is one of the reasons why it's so important to stay close to living prophets, to listen to their words and counsel, to follow them as they lead us to Christ and to those places of refuge from the storm. Now, a couple of key questions for you in regards to this principle, which is kind of an overview of the destruction, but also focused a lot on the purpose of it, is number one, maybe how have you seen this particular process that we just described also in a person's individual life? Can you recognize it in yours? What has it taken at times for God to get through to you? What kind of difficulties or destructions or punishments or consequences has it taken for you to begin to maybe ask the questions that need to be asked for you to begin to change? How can pain and suffering sometimes turn people towards God and towards repentance? Well, what does this teach you about God's love for his children? How is this helpful to know that there is purpose in the destruction, sometimes purpose in the pain? 
And how can 3 Nephi, those verses we looked at, chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, bring peace to us in spite of the destruction that the world will face and go through prior to the second coming? And then I want to repeat two questions that I asked earlier because I think they're perfect for this and a, in a big way, a big part of these chapters and really of all the scriptures and some of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is number one, if you listen closely to the Spirit, what is it telling you personally that you need to work on and repent of right now the most? What is it that it's telling you to do right now? And most importantly, will you write it down and remember that that is, again, personal revelation for you. Now, for the third and final principle, I want to take a look at chapter 12. And I think that there is also a purpose in the way that this is put together in the kind of more overview aspect of these chapters. Chapter 12, there's a lot of reference to the war in heaven the great dragon being Satan and the, the war that took place in the pre-existence and how that war continues today. Specifically in, in verse 9 of chapter 12, it writes or is recorded, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now again, that's a great verse, young people, to reference the pre-existence, right? That there was a war in heaven and it's just fun to see those things taught in Scripture in that way, which to many they don't understand the context behind them, but for us that have the full understanding of God's plan, we do. Verse 10 continues, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, by the blood of the Lamb, this is verse 11, and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. And then verse 17 is a, is a key one. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. One of the things I think the Lord wants us to recognize is that there was a war in heaven, but that war has not ended, that it continues to take place here on the earth. And he gives us some great clues into how we can win that war. And I would absolutely mark verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Repentance is our greatest source of strength to being able to defeat Satan, repenting of our sins, and by the word of their testimony. Your individual testimonies, young people, are one of the greatest sources of strength and of protection and one of the greatest weapons that you have in fighting this war. And I would invite you to, to consider where is your testimony at? How strong is it? And most importantly, what can you do to strengthen it? And then the last thing he points out in, in that verse, which I think is also powerful, that they love not their lives unto death. There's an element pointed out in that of, of surrender and of, a, of humility and of a willingness to put God first even above ourselves. I know that's not always easy, but that is one of the great keys to overcoming Satan, is to learn to love and put God first in our lives, even above ourselves. So 
one other thing I think that's worth pointing out in helping us to, to win this war, again, comes in the placement of some things. Chapter 14, after pointing out that this war is continuing to take place on the earth, in chapter 14, there's a few things that God, again, points out that can continue to help us in this war and to, to win it in the end. Verse 12 is a great verse. And there's others in there for you to look for. I'm just going to give you a couple. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have faith in Jesus. Patience is a great key that we need to have and develop to win this war in the end. Because it's not easy. Keeping the commandments does not bring immediate results or blessings. Um, Having faith doesn't immediately bring about answered prayers. There is an element of patience to both that we need to have and develop. I remember C.S. Lewis saying that there, uh, the evil when you examine it is the pursuit of something good in the wrong way. Um, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that. In many ways, it really is the lack of patience that leads to sin. And I've referenced this before. I, I love this statement from Dumbledore and Harry Potter when he said that there are dark and difficult days ahead and each of us will have to make the choice between what is right and what is easy. Again, I think the difference between that comes down to patience. And the ability to keep the commandments as is referenced in there. When we keep the commandments, they keep us. Moses defeated Satan through his faith in Christ in Moses chapter 1 in the Pearl of Great Price and in calling upon him for strength. One of the greatest ways that we can call upon Christ to receive strength is through the Book of Mormon, which is referenced here in chapter 14. Throughout the chapter, it mentions that one of the fulfillments of prophecy in these verses occurred when Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith and led him to the records that he translated and published as the Book of Mormon. This book contains the everlasting gospel that we are charged with preaching unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And we see this referenced in chapter 14, verse 6, where John records he saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on earth. And again, I think the power of, of that statement, that verse, comes in many ways in its placement, again, in the order of where it's put together in the book of Revelations. Immediately following the recognition that the war is continuing here on earth comes that acknowledgement of the Book of Mormon. President Benson gave one of my favorite quotes of all time about the power that we have access to in Christ through that book. When he said, it's not just that the Book of Mormon teaches us truth, though it indeed does that. It's not just that the Book of Mormon bears testimony of Christ, though it indeed does that too. But there's something more. There is a power in the book which will begin to flow into your lives the moment you begin a serious study of the book. You will find greater power to resist temptation. You will find the power to avoid deception. You will find the power to stay on the straight and narrow path. The scriptures are called the words of life, and nowhere is that more true than it is of the Book of Mormon. When you begin to hunger and thirst after those words, you will find life in greater and greater abundance. President Marion G. Romney added to that statement when he said for himself regarding the, the blessings that can come into the lives of those who will read the Book of Mormon that I feel certain that if in our homes parents will read from the Book of Mormon prayerfully and regularly both by themselves and with their children that the spirit of that great book will come to permeate our homes and all who dwell therein. 
The spirit of reverence will increase. Mutual respect and consideration for each other will grow. The spirit of contention will depart. Parents will counsel their children in greater love and wisdom. Children will be more responsive and submissive to the counsel of their parents. Righteousness will increase. Faith, hope, and charity, the pure love of Christ, will abound in our homes and lives, bringing in their wake peace, joy, and happiness. One of the best tools that you and I have in fighting this war and in fighting Satan comes from the power that we have access to in Christ as we read and study the Book of Mormon. Now, a couple key questions for you to consider about this final principle is, one, number one, how have you seen the war in heaven continuing on earth? What examples have you seen that kind of testified that, yeah, there is a war going on all around us? Number two, why is it so important that we remember that we are at war? How can we sometimes forget this truth and let our guard down? What do you do or what can you do on a daily basis to make sure that you are prepared with the spiritual strength and armor to face the attacks that Satan will throw at you each day? And what role does patience have in winning this war? What role has the Book of Mormon played in your life up to this point? How has it been a a source of strength to you? In what ways have you felt power come into your life from Christ through it? What can you do to make it, the Book of Mormon, more of a priority in your life so that you can draw the power needed from Christ through it? Oh, it's a lot in there, I know. This has been a, a long episode. I hope it's been helpful. This uh, is one that I know young people love to talk about, to think about, to go over. Everybody wants to know a little bit more clearly the events that will precede the, the second coming. But more than anything, I hope that, that these principles have helped fill you with hope and with uh, an assurance that there is a safe path ahead that there is safety that will be provided as we listen to and follow our living prophets, stay close to them, stay close to the church. Most importantly, stay close to Christ as they direct us to him and bring us better to him. We can get through the events of the second coming with faith instead of fear. As always, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, with power, prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So, as always, let's follow Him better this week and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens.